Good afternoon, everybody. I hope you had a great weekend. I know I have. Uh, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We're 45 strong up and down the state, which means if you have a paranormal issue, we can help you. It might take us a while to get to you, but we can help you. Let me set this stuff up. I want to welcome everybody over today. Uh, TikTok, I see you over there. My only issue with TikTok right now is that I have old eyes and I'm on my and I'm on my iPhone over there. So old eyes can't see you, but I know you're there. Okay. Don't think I can't see you. I know you're there. I just can't read your comments. Welcome. Today is uh, Sunday reading day, and this is a day where I read from a paranormal theme book. Uh, it may be a true story, it may be a fantasy, or even about fairies or whatever. But this book we're reading in particular that we're reading today is based on a true story. I'm gonna give you guys a quick update, quick rundown on it, and uh, here we go. Um, Lynn Monet, who is the author of this book and the publisher of this book, Lynn Monet um, bought a house for her and her family. She had two kids, start, you know, trying to get, start her life in a nice house, got a great deal on this house, bought this house, and before they even moved in or started to move in, there were issues. Like the door, the, like the, the front door wouldn't open, things like that. But then as they started to move their stuff in and have work done on the house, lo and behold, they started seeing dark entities in the house, okay? So this, you know, to make the story short, they saw so much in that house that they didn't want to live there. So she never moved her family in. She ended up she ended up reselling the house. So this book is now the follow-up to what they went through. But uh, the first book, Omnipresent, is terrifying, uh, you know, with, with what they experienced and saw in that house. So, yeah, so it's terrifying. Anyway, I want to welcome everybody to Facebook. If you're watching from Facebook today, and you like what you see, please hit that follow button. I'm always looking for followers. Also, you know, show me some love, some thumbs up, some happy faces, things like that, because that puts us higher in the FYP and gets us out to more people, okay? Uh, same thing with YouTube. I'm uh, looking for subscribers. We're 10 away from 700 subscribers. If you guys are feeling your heart, if you, if you like what you hear today, this is just one part of the shows we do. If you like what you hear today, please be sure to, you know, be sure to subscribe. And leave me some comments and some happy faces. Same rules, same rules. If you need our help as a paranormal team, fantastic. You can find us on Facebook under California Haunts, California Haunts Radio. You can find us over on Twitter under California Haunts. You can find us on TikTok under California Haunts. You can find us on Twitch under Cal Haunts. And you can also find me on Instagram under Ghosty Gal, all lowercase. Okay, that being said, just to get things rolling today, TikTok. For those of you on TikTok, like I said, I cannot read your comments because I have old eyes, okay? You should see how I enlarged the, the text for this book. But if you could do me a favor, I'm trying to build up my stuff on my, my likes and stuff on TikTok. If you could find it in your heart to leave me some likes, some, you know, I would like to shoot for a goal of 2,000 2, likes. So if you could double tap that screen for me while, while I'm reading, that would be great. And also, I do have a subscriber thing going on. So if you'd like to subscribe to this channel, because we don't only do reading, okay, on Sundays, but we have five other days that we do other types of stories where, you know, UFOs, UAPs, all the paranormal topics. And sometimes they aren't paranormal because I'm a journalist, okay? So sometimes I don't do paranormal. But we do do everything. Monday, Monday through Friday is uh, UFO, psychic readings, and, you know, you name it. We do it. We do it. So it's not just being here on TikTok doing this or Facebook doing this on a Sunday because this is just part of what we do. I do this on a Sunday because, A, it's great to have, it's, it's great to read, right? Everybody likes to read a good book. 
also, you know, people are winding down Sunday, you know, you're having your dinner, you're trying, you're, you're getting ready to uh, go to work on Monday, you know, or maybe, or maybe Monday where you're at, you're in Australia, right? But it's a way for you to relax, you know, put your jammies on, put, put your fluffy slippers on and uh, kick back and uh, lay on the couch for a while and uh, listen to me read. See, it's, it's that easy. I'll read for about an hour today. So again, you know, um, it's a nice experience. So if you guys are willing to hang out, this is a really good book. This is a, what happened to her for Lynn and her family is terrifying. And she did, and then to bring you guys up to speed with the book too, where we're at, um, she decided to do some research on the family that lived there before her and found out that at the same time energy was at the house and it was harassing that family. And they that's why they, they sold the house so quickly. They were only in the house six months. The family that moved in behind her, she tried to warn them about what was going on in the house, and they kind of blew it off, saying, we don't believe in that stuff. Well, six months later, the house is up for sale. So it's interesting. But this also led to other things with Lynn uh, in her career. She, uh, she's a nurse by trade. And uh, so I, I think this brought out her uh, psychic abilities. We're all born with psychic abilities, and it's sometimes you realize you have them, right? Or, or, or you don't until something comes along to start them off. Like with Lynn, this, this was her trigger. You know, what happened in that house. So yeah, so we're going to continue. We're starting chapter four today, and uh, I'll read for about an hour. And then after that, you know, I'll, you know, we can just go with tomorrow. And also, I do have a goal for llamas up there. You guys don't have to contribute anything. I'm not asking for money. But one of the reasons why I have the, I have the llama up there is because this is my full-time gig. So all this is funded with donations to try and keep me on the air here. So if you can find it in your heart to, uh, even even roses, I'm good for roses, you know, but just find it in your heart to uh, help me out to keep the show on the air. I'd really appreciate it. I really would. I got two donations last week, which is sweet. Thank you guys very much. But uh, I really appreciate it. And at the same time, please double tap that screen for likes because, I'm, like I said, I'm trying to build up my, 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 my presence on TikTok, okay? I'm trying to build it up just like I'm trying to build it up on Facebook and, and, uh, and YouTube and Twitch, okay? All right, so without further ado, I'm going to start reading from Omnipresent. What happened next? So let me pull this up. And again, I'm not ignoring anybody over there as far as, um, you know, as far as TikTok goes. I just cannot see. I, I see you guys coming up, but I cannot see your comments, okay? So let me get this up to where I can actually read it because I am quite blind. Hang on a second. Give me one second to get this adjusted. Okay. Ah, there's my PDF. Okay. Big words, big notes, big words. That's what I'm going to have. Oh, I just blow this thing up so I can read it. All right. Again, I'll be checking back with everybody over on uh, Facebook and back and forth. So, again, uh, if, you, if you guys can find it in your heart to show me some love, that would be great. Double tap the screen over there. Let's start by trying to get 2,000 likes on TikTok. Okay. Let's see if we can do that. Okay. So here we go, and uh, hope you guys like what I'm reading, and we should get through about three chapters today. After buying her new home in Asheville, North Carolina, Lynn, upon getting everything moved in, needed to cancel the insurance on her mobile home and confirm everything had been switched over to a new address. Lynn went to her insurance broker's office in person to sign the new policy. While she was there, the secretary, Teresa, who had been out on maternity leave when Lynn transitioned back into the single wire from East 
from the East Flat Rock House, inquired about why Lynn had sold the East Flat Rock home. Teresa remembered how excited Lynn, was, Lynn originally had been about buying the house and what a great deal it was. Lynn started to tell Teresa about the house being haunted and all that took place there. During this time, Teresa's mother overheard the conversation in the room, listening intently. At one point, Teresa's mother, Gloria, interrupted to ask Lynn where this house was located. When Lynn told her East, East Flat Rock, North Carolina, Gloria replied, no wonder. Surprised by her response, Lynn asked why she said that. Get this in here. East Flat Rock, you could not get me to buy a house there, even if they were giving them away for free, plus a million dollars, Gloria exclaimed. Didn't you know about East Flat Rock? People have even written books about how haunted it is. Lynn replied that she had not and was unaware since she lived most of her life in Florida until she moved to North Carolina. She had lived in North Carolina about seven years. Gloria asked Lynn to continue with her story, and when she was finished, Gloria would share hers. Lynn finished up her story, and now it was Gloria's turn. Only three other people I know, only three other people know about this event, because they were physically there and witnessed the occurrences. If you talk about stuff like this, people will think you're crazy. I swear to God, and on my own life, this happened. I saw it with my own eyes. Gloria cleared her throat and began. My niece Tiffany was pregnant with her first child. She and her husband were looking for a place to settle down before the baby arrived. William, Tiffany's husband, had just passed his bar for the state of North Carolina, and the legal firm in Hendersonville had given him, given him a position. Tiffany and William looked and, found, looked and found the perfect home after only looking at a few places. They, they bought a home not far from William's office and the courthouse. And it just so happened to be in East Flat Rock, North Carolina, Gloria continued with emphasis. Gloria's sister, who was also Tiffany's mother, died when Tiffany was young. Gloria stepped in as a mother figure for Tiffany and had always treated Tiffany like a daughter instead of a niece. Gloria, who lived in Raleigh, North Carolina at the time, would travel to East Flat Rock as much as she could help, as much as she could to help Tiffany get settled into a new house. Gloria's ability to stay over for days at a time would be easier now, since they have a much bigger home and place for Gloria to stay when she tested or when she visited. When the couple moved in, Tiffany was at the end of her second trimester, and time was of the essence to get not only the house settled, but also the nursery set up. Tiffany being new to the neighborhood, did not have a lot of friends locally. So Gloria arranged a combination baby shower and housewarming party and invited family and friends from where they lived before to come eight weeks before Tiffany's due date. Gloria had her husband come to help get everything ready for the party. Gloria's husband hoped he would be able to assemble most of the baby items before they had to return to Raleigh. After the party ended, Gloria and her husband Mitch were in the kitchen sitting at the breakfast table. Mitch was putting together the baby's crib and swing. Gloria was cleaning up and putting away food left over from the party. In the kitchen was a door that led to the stairs for the basement. Gloria paused her story to say, if I had not seen this with my own eyes, I would never have believed it. I returned from the refrigerator to the sink, she continued. The door opened slowly by itself. I thought there must be a draft or something blowing the door open. So I went over and closed it. I left the kitchen and then returned with wrapping paper to throw away, and the door was open again. I asked Mitch if he had opened the door. Mitch responded, no. 
He had been busy assembling the crib and had not moved, nor did he notice the door was open. I told Mish that the door will not stay shut. Mish goes over and looks at the door, thinking the strike plate needs adjusting. He adjusted and tightened it, then shut the door. Within a few minutes, the door opens all the way again. Just then, Tiffany came into the kitchen and Gloria mentioned the problematic door. Yes, we need to have it looked at, Tiffany replied. The door seems to open every night at 9 p.m. Tiffany went on to say that she and her husband noticed the door would stay closed once the clock struck 10. She didn't seem bothered by it. She didn't seem bothered by it as she was sure there was a logical explanation for it. So the next night, since Mitch and Gloria were staying for a few days, they decided to sit at the breakfast net table and stick out the door in the kitchen to see if this 9 p.m. event was really true. Gloria poured coffee while she and Mitch awaited 9 p.m. The kitchen clock struck 9 p.m. and nothing happened until the clock second hand got to the 30-second mark after 9 p.m. The door slowly opened completely. Gloria and Mitch were baffled and suggested to Tiffany that she and her husband have the stability of the house foundation checked. They were concerned that since the couple needed to move so fast that a thorough inspection had not been completed and perhaps there were some foundation issues shifting the house and causing the door to open. A consistent time frame they could not explain and thought it was a coincidence. The next morning, before they left for rally, Mitch installed the deadbolt lock on the door. Seven weeks later, Gloria got a call from William letting her know that Tiffany was in labor and they were going to have to do a C-section because the baby was breached. Gloria left Raleigh, 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 as soon, <laughs> Raleigh as soon as she could for East Flat Rock. While on the way, Gloria got another call from William to announce that baby Emily had arrived and was perfect weight and that mommy and the baby were doing fine. While on the way to the hospital, Gloria decided to stop at Tiffany's house, which was on the way, to drop off her things and finish wrapping presents for the new baby. Gloria entered the kitchen and noticed the door to the basement open again. She assumed that whoever closed it last must have forgotten to lock the door after closing it. She went over and pulled the door shut, then, lo then locked it. Gloria finished wrapping presents and headed to the hospital in Hendersonville. Once Gloria arrived at the hospital, William expressed his concern to Gloria about having to return to work since his maternity leave was not scheduled to start for two weeks, and that Tiffany might need some help after the C-section. William had a trial coming up in 12 days, and he needed to prepare for it with his client and senior colleagues. I cannot back out now, he said, especially since it's my very first real trial. Gloria was thrilled to get to stay with Tiffany and baby Emily. Gloria headed to Tiffany's house. William pulled in right behind her, and they both walked inside. William followed Gloria into the kitchen, and they both noticed the kitchen door was open. Gloria stated to William that she had closed and locked the door before she left for the hospital earlier that day. William told Gloria that he had three different analytical firms come out and assess the door's opening issues. He said that the foundation was believed to be disturbed nightly by a route truck who was driving up the interstate near their home at the very same time every night and that one and that one of one of the firms who assessed the home's foundation explained the vibration of a large truck and what caused the ground to vibrate and the door open. That sounds a bit far fetched, Gloria said. William nodded. The foundation holding up the house itself was found to be without any issue. That answer was the only one they could come up with to tell William and Tiffany. Gloria, perplexed, said, Really? Is there a sinkhole nearby? 
William laughed and said, no. Can the problem be fixed, Gloria asked. What are they going to do about it, he said. Strengthen the house foundation to make the issue stop? I thought they said it was not the foundation of the house itself. I'm having a final company come I'm having a final company come out to give me their theory, William replied. Good, Gloria said, because having that door hanging open is going to run up your heating and cooling bill. The next morning, Gloria got up and went into the kitchen to start the coffee pot. She noticed the door to the basement was open again. Gloria found this odd, since she had closed it the night before after nine PM, the usual time it had been opening. Gloria closed it. William then entered the kitchen and Gloria mentioned it to him. It does not make sense that it opens when it's locked, Gloria said. William agreed and then told Gloria, Tiffany and the baby are being discharged from the hospital tomorrow morning. Gloria replied that she would work on having everything ready for their arrival. The next day, Tiffany and baby Emily arrived home from the hospital. A week had passed and oddly, the door had stayed shut. They never had another problem with the door. Tiffany was up and getting around better after her C-section. She was downstairs in the family room folding laundry while Emily slept in a cradle next to the sofa. Tiffany was breastfeeding and had to pump her milk every three hours or feed Emily to, to get her milk to come in fully. Since Emily was sleeping, Tiffany went into the half-bathroom downstairs with the door open so she could still see Emily and pumped her milk. She then took it upstairs to put it in the fridge. Gloria was upstairs cleaning. Tiffany shopped for a few minutes, stopped, I'm sorry, stopped for, <laughs> stopped for a few minutes to grab a quick snack of water. Emily started to make sounds below. Tiffany pulled the breast milk back out of the refrigerator and ran it under warm water for a minute to warm it back up a little. She stuffed her half-eaten banana into her mouth, grabbed her bottle of water, and then went downstairs with her milk to feed Emily. Gloria stated that Emily could not have been out of Tiffany's sight more than seven minutes. If I had not witnessed this with my own eyes, I would never believe it could happen, Gloria continued. She heard Tiffany panicking. Where is Emily? The baby's gone. Gloria immediately stopped what she was doing and ran down the stairs. Sure enough, Emily was not in the cradle where Tiffany had left her. Gloria and Tiffany were the only two at home with Emily. Tiffany frantically checked the French doors leading down to the outside patio from the family room. She thought someone may have entered the home and grabbed Emily. However, the doors were locked with a deadbolt. Then Gloria and Tiffany heard the baby crying. The sound seemed to be coming from upstairs. They looked at each other with disbelief and quickly climbed to the top of the stairs. Tiffany stopped and said, What if someone is in this house and could be waiting for us to enter the bedroom to harm us? The crying continued in the direction of the master bedroom. Tiffany had a bassinet set up in the master bedroom next to the bed. I swear I had her downstairs in the cradle, Tiffany said. I never brought her upstairs. Tiffany told Gloria to call the police just in case someone had entered the home without them knowing and carried the baby upstairs. The police arrived and Tiffany let them in, directing them to the master bedroom. With the police there, Tiffany raced in and grabbed Emily, then ran back out of the room. The police checked every room and there was no sign of entry or evidence of anyone being in the house other than Tiffany, Gloria, and Emily. Tiffany was so upset, she called William at work and insisted he come home. He was in the middle of his trial. He asked the judge to break from lunch, as he hadn't even been home. The judge called for a two-hour lunch, and William raced home. Upon arrival, he observed police cars in the driveway. The policeman outside informed him that Emily was fine. The police, after finding everything secured, assumed that Tiffany was perhaps sleep-deprived 
They just forgot where she left her daughter. Tiffany continued to insist otherwise. What happened was not explainable, said Gloria. Three years passed, and Emily was now three years old and talking of a storm. I had come to visit. Tiffany, who was pregnant again, welcomed the extra set of hands. I was downstairs in the family room with Emily. Emily was playing with her toys and frequently spoke to her friend that no one else could see but her. I asked Emily, who are you talking to? Emily replied, Marianna. I asked where Marianna lived, and she replied, in my room. Gloria then asked how long Marianna had been in her room, and Emily replied, since ever I can remember. She is big like you and plays with me. Then Emily looked directly at Gloria and said, Marianna's baby lost her. Gloria knew that this meant Marianna had lost her baby. Gloria told Tiffany what Emily said. That is odd, Tiffany said. When we were having those inspections done on the foundation of this house, and after they came up with the story about a truck route causing the ground to vibrate, opening the basement door, another guy who had pulled the old land records told us that where our house had been built, the land, the, the land during the Civil War was in exactly the same place as the town's jail. Even though most of the records were gone due to a fire, enough remained to show that it was not only a jail, but there was evidence the sheriff had also been performing abortions in the basement of the jail. Many young women died because of the abortions, according to the death certificates at that time. One quick thing for everybody on Facebook, you know, whoever's listening tonight, this channel is a PG-13 R channel, okay? This is a book. I have permission from the publisher and the, and the writer to read it. And if you're uncomfortable with anything, you know, be, be religion or any of this ghost stuff or anything, the abortion stuff, anything that makes you uncomfortable, please do not turn me in to be banned on any of these channels, okay? Move on. There's other places you can go, all right? I'm just saying this up front because all I'm doing is reading the book, all right? Okay? All right. Let's continue. And thank you, TikTok. Let's see if we can hit, see if you can get me over 2,000 today. Okay, keep keep tip tapping. Let's see how high you can get me on likes. Okay, just keep tapping that screen. Keep tapping that screen. Gloria, out of curiosity, contacted the man who had this information and asked how she could view the death certificates during the time. She went back into archive records and found the name of a young woman named Mary Anna Frost, age 17, who died after an abortion. Gloria made copies and showed what she had found to Tiffany. Tiffany agreed it all made sense. William and Tiffany found that Tiffany was having twins and agreed they needed a larger home. They sold the home six months later. When they moved, Marianna stayed behind. Emily did not talk about her anymore. Gloria then said this was not her only ghost encounter in Flat Rock. She got a drink of water and started to tell her second story. My best friend Ivy had gone through a really bad marriage with her first husband. After her divorce, she reconnected with her high school sweetheart 20 years later and married him. They wanted to move to North Carolina, where Ivy's husband, Freeman, had a brother who needed his help running a roofing business. They found a beautiful one-story home in East Flat Rock that they fell in love with and bought it. Ironically, Ivy's house was about a mile and a half away from the one you sold, Gloria said to Lynn. She continued that she, she would go over and help Ivy get settled during the times that she was also visiting Tiffany. Gloria said one day, Ivy called her and asked her if she would be able to go with her to pick up the table she'd bought. The table was purchased for her foyer. It's not heavy, just long and cumbersome, Ivy said. I need help loading it at the store and unloading it, as well as help getting it into the house. Gloria agreed to help and met Ivy that afternoon at her new house. 
This was Gloria's third time at the new place. Gloria asked Ivy if, before they left to get the table, she could use her bathroom. Of course, Ivy said. It is the second door in the hallway on the left. I will wait here for you. Gloria went into the bathroom, and while she was sitting down on the toilet, she heard what sounded like footsteps walking back and forth overhead. She found this to be odd because this was a single level house. She thought perhaps Ivy had come into the house, making the sound of footsteps. Gloria cracked the bathroom door open and called out into the hall that she would be out in a minute. The steps continued. Gloria then went outside and asked Ivy if she had come into the house while she was in the bathroom. No, Ivy responded. I was outside waiting the whole time. Gloria told Ivy that either she had a rat problem or some kind of issue because it sounded like someone was walking around in her attic. Ivy mentioned she and Freeman had been hearing similar things too. She said that the exterminator had been up in the attic twice and found nothing. She said he placed a few traps in the attic just in case and nothing had been caught either. Gloria and Ivy got into Ivy's SUV for the ride to the furniture store. After loading the table in the back of the SUV, they secured it and then drove back to Ivy's house to unload it. Gloria went and unlocked the front door and placed a plant in a bucket to hold the door open. The two ladies carried the long table inside and were thrilled to see it fit in Ivy's foyer perfectly. Ivy invited Gloria up to stay for dinner and said her husband should be home in a few minutes. Just as Freeman walked into the door, he kissed Ivy and told her that he had completed work early and was looking forward to dinner. Ivy told Freeman that Gloria was joining them for dinner and that dinner was almost ready. It smells really good, Freeman said. Gloria stopped talking, looked at Lynn with a stern expression and said, Lynn, what I'm about to tell you, if I had not seen this with my own eyes, I would not have believed it. Gloria went on to say Freeman came over in the living room where she was sitting and sat down on the couch opposite the couch that she was sitting on. They were facing each other talking while Ivy was putting the final touches on the salad. Gloria said that as, uh, said that as they sat talking, Freeman repositioned himself with his left arm resting up on the back of the couch. Freeman continued the conversation. He was in the middle of telling Gloria something and all of a sudden he stopped. And he stopped talking mid-sentence. With a funny look on his face, Freeman looked over at his left arm and hand. Gloria looked too. She said as they sat there, Freeman's wedding ring started to wiggle on his finger and then slipped itself off. It dangled about four inches from the tip of his finger in the air. Then it dropped to the ground and rolled under the couch. Gloria sat there frozen and said to Freeman, Did that really just happen? What happened? Ivy asked from the kitchen. Freeman, still speechless, sat unmoving. Gloria started to tell Ivy about what had just happened, and it freaked everybody out. Freeman finally spoke up and said he had been finding his wedding bat off his finger upon waking most mornings, but never while he was awake. Gloria left the home without eating dinner. So did Ivy and Freeman. Gloria said about four weeks later, Freeman had to work late helping get the business tax papers together for filing. Ivy said she had fallen asleep at home. She said she was awakened by the sound of a door slamming. And when she opened her eyes, about ten mumbling souls were encircling her bed, staring at her while she was asleep. That's creepy. Ivy ran out of the house to her, in, in her nightgown and got in her car. She then drove over to Freeman's work. She frantically told Freeman what had happened and swore she would not set foot in the house again. Freeman and Ivy spent several nights in a hotel while looking for an apartment to move into. 
They never slept another night in the house. Gloria said they only went back briefly in the daytime to grab clothes, toiletries, important papers, and photo albums. They had an auctioneer come in and take the furniture and appliances to sell. The house sat on the market for two years until they had to foreclose on the property. Gloria looked at Lynn with serious eyes. There was no way I would ever live in or near East Flat Rock. Chapter 5. Let me do a quick check over here to make sure we're still broadcasting. Yep, we are. Okay. Hello, everybody. All right. So we're going back into the book. So here we go. Chapter 5. And again, if you guys show me some love, give me some thumbs up, give me some hearts. You know, I'm not going to say over on Facebook and, and, and all those other places. And especially over on TikTok. I'm trying to build up my presence. I really appreciate, you know, you double tap on the screen. If you like what you see, just, you know, help me out. Maybe throw a lawnmower or two out. You don't have to. It's not required. But I'm just trying to build up my presence and keep my show keep my show on the air. So I really appreciate it. And again, we are a rated PG-13, rated R channel. So if you hear something you don't like, instead of turning me into TikTok police or Facebook police or whoever you have for police, instead of turning me in, just move on and, and go to some other show. Simple. Okay? Hang out with some other life. All right, room 118 was tall. We are reading from Omnipresent, What Happened Next. Lynn was working her night shift at the retirement, the retirement community. She'd been working for eight years. Room 118 was a semi-private room at the very end of West Hallway and around the corner. One resident lived in that room. Mabel was well into her 80s. She never married, never had children. She often stated how much she hated children, especially when a staff member was pregnant inside her room. She also hated pets. Nice lady. Her semi-private room allowed her to have a room all to herself, with a shared bathroom in the hallway separating the two rooms. The other room remained empty most of the time because of the ongoing complaints Mabel would make about any noise made by you know, other, other people. Mabel really, Mabel really had visitors. Anise came once to visit Mabel during the holidays. Ended up Sunning herself back up in two minutes after arriving. Mabel was extremely demanding and condescending to the staff. Never a kind word, only criticism and petty complaints. She would purposely throw her food on the floor after sending an employee multiple times to reheat it for her. Mabel insisted it be cleaned up immediately by whoever the staff was in her room at the time. Her calls on the call bell were endless, and her call light would often go back on just as the staff member was leaving the room. One day, a CNA named Betty entered the woman's room to answer her call. The woman insisted that Betty open the window to let some fresh air into the room. Betty complied. While opening the window, Betty felt something pinch the back of her leg. She turned around quickly, and nothing was there other than Mabel, who was a distance away in her bed. Betty turned to face Mabel and asked if there was anything else she needed before Betty left the room. Mabel replied that she needed her blanket strengthened on her bed. Betty fixed Mabel's blankets, then asked if there was anything else she needed. Mabel said she needed to go to the bathroom. Betty removed the blankets and helped Mabel into the wheelchair, then to the bathroom and back to her bed. Again, Mabel wanted her blankets just right. Betty complied. Isn't there anyone here that knows how to do their job right? Mabel barked at Betty. What do you mean? Betty asked. If you were educated, you would already know what I mean, Mabel responded. Across the room was Mabel's dresser with five frame photos on it. Mabel asked to have her window shut. Betty shut the window, and as she turned around, all of a sudden, 
The fine-framed picture sitting on Mabel's dresser flew off onto the floor. It was as if someone had taken her arm and swiped them off all at once. And taken their arm and swiped them off all at once. Yet no one was even near the dresser. And they flew off after the window had been closed. Betty ran from the room. She came up to the nurse's station. She appeared pale and physically shaken. What happened, Lynn asked. I cannot go into Mabel's room ever again, Betty insisted. Can she please be assigned to someone else? She explained what she just experienced in Mabel's room. In the meantime, Mabel's call light was turned on again. And a different nursing assistant went to answer the light. The CNA picked up the pictures and put them back on the dresser, arranged exactly the, the way Mabel wanted. Lynn and Betty walked down to the room and met with the CNA coming out of Mabel's room. Lynn told the staff that, whenever possible, two people should go into the room together. Lynn told Betty she did not have any other people to take her place. However, she would no longer be answering the call light alone. She could even reach out to Lynn for assistance, or Lynn would go to answer the light herself when available. A very short time later, room 118's call light came on. Lynn headed down the hallway to answer the light. Just ahead of her, a CNA entered the room. Lynn followed. Mabel, who was of sound mind and unaware of Lynn's presence, started throwing a tantrum. She raised her hand to slap the CNA, who was kneeling down, trying to help her with her slippers. No, Lynn said loudly and firmly. It, start, it startled Mabel as she put her hand down. Why are you here, Mabel asked. Lynn thought fast on her feet and informed Mabel that, that the administration was aware of the behavior exhibited by her towards the staff. The hitting, biting, kicking, spitting, and smearing of bowel movements. Wow. Throwing things and constant verbal abuse. It was Lynn's understanding that the facility was looking to recommend her place elsewhere. I will be sure to put this behavior in my report, said Lynn. And then she stood in the room until the CNA finished fixing Mabel's blankets. They exited the room together. Once in the hallway, out of Mabel's earshot, the CNA asked Lynn if what she had said to Mabel was true. I don't know, but it sounded good, Lynn said. And they should. Lynn winked. Mabel went to sleep and did not call anyone that night. The next night, Lynn got a report from the outgoing nurse. The nurse had entered Mabel's room to administer a shot. After giving the injection, the nurse placed a syringe on the side table while applying a band-aid to the injection site. As the nurse applied the band-aid, she felt a needle poking in the side of her thigh. She looked down, and there was the syringe sticking out of her thigh. The nurse could not imagine how the syringe got, got into her leg. As she was two feet from the nightstand and had placed the syringe carefully into an emesis basin that was sitting on the side table. The emesis basin was still sitting on the side table. The nurse reported the incident and the needle stick. Strange things happened in Mabel's room, the nurse said, and agreed. Lynn told the off-going nurse about the events that had occurred just the night before. No one has entered that room alone, she said. At least two will enter at a time to assist Mabel with her needs. After that, there were reports of Mabel of Mabel's rocking chair rocking even when she wasn't in the room. There were also reports of lights flickering and two more people felt pinched. Two months later, when Mabel passed away, her ghost remained in the facility, creating havoc in room 118. Mabel's niece, Mary, never came to collect her belongings. She asked to have them donated. Liz spoke with Mary when she called and thanked everyone for, when she called and thanked everyone for putting up with her belligerent aunt. She said that her aunt was always mean and harsh. Does Mabel have any other relatives who would want her things? Lynn asked. 
Mary said that Mabel had never married, nor did she raise children. Thank God, Mary continued. Mabel was always very difficult to deal with. However, Mabel did have affairs with both a married man and several workers on her father's plantation when she was a young woman. She had these relationships at the same time. She got pregnant once and told her married lover the baby was his, Mary said. He didn't stick around. When the child was born, it was clearly biracial. It was not his anyway. Shortly after the baby's birth, it disappeared. They were not sure if she made it disappear or her father did. Mabel became very bitter. She seemed to blame the family for the reason she lost her married lover and started drinking heavily. Her parents were wealthy, so she never had to work. She took her anger out on everyone. She even had a dog once that also disappeared. She was horrible to her dog, too. Nice. She had one sister, and I'm her only daughter, Mary said. My mother passed away shortly after childbirth, and that's another reason why Mabel hates children and her. Lynn told Mary she was shocked, since Mabel always claimed she had never had any children, and she heckled any pregnant caretaker, especially if they were not married. While on shift, a CNA came to the nurse's station in panic. Please come quick, she said. You must see this for yourself. Lynn and Terry, the CNA, went down the hallway to room 118. They entered the hallway of the room that Mabel had passed away in. Mabel had passed away five days earlier. As the CNA and Lynn stood in the hallway, the closed privacy curtain was moving, as if someone had left the window open on the other side. Lynn entered the room to close the window and found the window was not open. Lynn also checked to see if the, if the air conditioner was running and if it was turned off. Lynn pulled the curtain completely open and left the room. She went into the adjoining room that shared the hallway and bathroom with Mabel's room and assisted the CNA with the residents. The bathroom door slammed shut. The CNA did not want to be left alone near Mabel's whole room. When they finished caring for the other residents, Lynn and the CNA passed Mabel's empty room and the curtain was now pulled fully closed. They stopped and stood there. They both watched what looked like a pointed finger that ran perpendicular across the midpoint of the curtain from it, from it the opposite end. The CNA screamed and ran out. Lynn opened the curtain completely again to see if someone was there. There was not. Mabel, Lynn said out loud, clearly and firmly, this room is no longer yours. You need to move on or cross over. Then she recited the Lord's Prayer and felt a gust of warm air passing her in the, into the hallway. Every morning, and the shifts changed, the nurses would gather to give, the, to give the oncoming nurse an update on current events on each patient before leaving their shift. That morning, Lynn reported the ghostly events to the oncoming nurse. The nurse also had been assigned to room 118 the day before and started and stated a few odd things that happened to them, too, but no one was talking about it beyond themselves. The next time Lynn worked, strange things continued to happen in the room. There was known as the haunted room. One evening, whispers were coming from Mabel's room. Lynn took a picture of the hallway while it was empty and caught her spirit in the picture. There's a, there's a photo here, so I'm just going to give you the description of it. She is the dark shadow figure that lurks at the very end of the hallway. Mabel's legs are sort of angled. The hallway and room to this day still has unexplainable things that happen in it. Mabel never crossed over and remains earthbound, protecting her room. Let's see if I can see her on here. Oh, yeah. I wish I could share these photos with you guys and with you guys over on, on Facebook and stuff, but uh, uh, there's no way for me to do that at this point. 
So yeah, I can see if I can see a figure down there. It's a shadow at the end of the hallway. She stands at the very end of the hall. To this day, there remains a very negative energy at the end of that hallway. Odd things keep happening. The facility avoids placing anyone in room 118 unless they have no other choice. The negative energetic undercurrent is uncomfortable, even for people who are not sensitive. They have too many complaints. They have had too many complaints from the staff, as well as residents who have resided there for any amount of time. To close up on this photo. That's an interesting photo. I would love to go check this place out. Here is a blown up enlightened picture to show the dark detail that goes better. Now going back to the photo on the previous page, one will know exactly what to look for. Clients who have lived or stayed in the hallway will sometimes see her ghost stopping, stopping in or walking past their rooms. Chapter six, mental illness. Okay guys, if you like what you hear, if you like what you hear, double tap that screen, double tap that screen, Facebook, uh, YouTube, show me some love, show me some thumbs up, some happy faces, some hearts. I really appreciate it. I'd like to shoot down for 3,000 likes on TikTok. Can you guys give me 3,000 likes? Help me out. Help me out to get 3,000 likes. Help me out. All right. Mental illness. People who have the ability to perceive things, others cannot or choose not to, are often considered mentally ill and emotionally unstable. These views are strongly held by both the legal and medical communities. There are squeaky chair. There are lots of medical disorders and other terms for mental illnesses, hallucinations, illusory perceptions, delusions, and erroneous belief, misperceptions, delirium, and sometimes schizophrenia. This ability, ability to perceive things beyond the physical realm is considered a conception or image created by the imagination and having no objective reality, according to MarianWebster.com. There is supposedly no cure for these sorts of disorders. And this is based on what, or by whom, or whose reality. I'm not saying that some people do not truly have serotonin de deficits that cause issues for them mentally, such as ADHD or dopamine excess that causes Ekblom syndrome. I'm not saying that there are not people who need to be maintained on medication and be monitored by a licensed medical professional. I am also not talking about neurological and organic mental disorders who visualize obscure things such as pink elephants climbing the walls of the rooms. These conditions are very real and need treatment for the health and safety of not only oneself, but for the greater good of the community. However, there are some cases based on the limitations of what a profess professional has to work with, such as, excuse me, scientific evidence. Scientific evidence is a proverbial black and white. But what about the gray area, the unknown? We don't have any way to measure or base tests on the unknown to determine its reality, such as with schizophrenia. Schizophrenia is not caused by a chemical imbalance. Those in the medical profession often assume that it's hereditary. They really don't know for sure if it's nature or, or nurture, if it's a nature or nurture condition and proceed with medication as the only treatment to subdue it, not to cure it. However, one doctor from Turkey, Dr. Ermak, a veteran researcher, performed studies with clients diagnosed with schizophrenia and treatment without the use of medication. His studies proved to be inspiring and perhaps a remedy for schizophrenia. When he published his findings publicly, he was criticized by his colleagues. They seemed to be threatened by the results Dr. Ermak showed proof of 
and didn't want to upset the status quo. People who have schizophrenia talk about voices that only they can hear. Usually the voices are telling them disturbing things. Things they, they even admit knowing are not always the right thing to do or to believe. The voices that one hears attempt to manipulate one's perception of their own reality in a very negative, dark way. It makes them fearful, angry, anxious, and ashamed. The voices tell them to do things the person knows is wrong to do. The voices degrade them as a person. This leads the person to believe they are worthless. This negativity creates a rippling effect throughout the person's family with the turmoil and stress it causes them to manage the person diagnosed with schizophrenia. These negative behaviors and the chaos they can cause are a feeding ground for demons. I believe schizophrenia, schizophrenics are manipulated by demons for their entertainment and supply. Demons thrive on any, any of the negative emotions or perverted acts. When they want to do more physical acts, they need to draw energy from a source. Humans are the easiest because they scare easily. Once the demon gets its foot full of energy, it can make itself be seen and heard. If it's able to leave claw marks, bruises, bite marks, sorry, it is able to leave claw marks, bruises, bite marks, open and slam doors, turn lights on and off, turn radios and TVs on and off, poke a person in their sleep, have sex with them, have sex with people in their sleep, throw things, shove people, pull hair, and leave imprints that are horrible visions and thoughts left in one's mind. When a demon takes a supply from a human source, they leave the person weak and without energy and feeling totally drained. Again, if this makes you uncomfortable in any way, please feel free to move on to another, you know, another line. That goes for everybody out there that's listening. I do not want to be turned into Facebook police or TikTok police or whoever. Okay, I have permission to read this book, and uh, this is what's in here. It's a, it's a true ghost story book. Okay, thank you for the likes. Thank you, thank you. Uh, let's see how far we can get. I'm hoping to get three, uh, anywhere from 3,000 to 3,500 likes today. So if you can help me out with that, I appreciate it. If you like what you hear. Demons prefer humans to energize off of. But if a human is not available, they linger around fuse boxes and, the, and natural stone walls or fireplaces. All right, Leah. Then returned to school after 20 years of being a nurse to further her education. She had to do a rotation for a psychiatric ward for her class. One day, all eight student nurses arrived on the unit of a mental health facility, along with their teacher. They were quickly informed that the area was the intake area and that patients could be highly combative and not yet completely stabilize the medication. Any student, nurse, any student nurse choosing to remain in that area had to sign a paper agreeing not to hold the facility responsible if they were physically assaulted or injured by any of the patients. As they stood there awaiting their teacher's return, before going into a different section, a young woman approached and pointed at Lynn. The girl stated, you can help me, I know you can. Lynn, feeling a bit uncomfortable standing there with her peers and not knowing what to say in response to the patients, started to look over her shoulders, hoping the patient was talking to someone else. She just wanted to be Lynn, the student that day, not Lynn, who could see dead people, Archons, and <laughs> who could see dead people, Arkans and aliens. Not only that, she didn't want to be evaluated for admission to the facility herself. But as it turned out, it was a day for Lynn to be of assistance. Lynn's instructor heard the woman's comment 
and told everyone not to make eye contact with any of the patients as she ushered everyone out of the room into the next section. When it came time for assigning students, Lynn and another nurse, Susie, volunteered to return to the intake area. Lynn wanted to see what she could do, if anything, for the young lady. Lynn and Susie were each assigned suicide watch patients. They sat down at the indoor picnic tables, which were bolted to the floor, to do their charting while waiting for their patients, who were out to do their therapy session. While they sat there, the young woman from the morning approached them. She was heavily medicated and slurring her words just a bit. Her tone was somewhat robotic and verbalization slow. She sat down and introduced herself. Her name was Leah. And she said that the nurse the night before had prayed over her, and it seemed to help some. Prayer's always good, Susie barked up. Leah went on to tell them how when she was seven, she had been repeatedly raped by a pastor at her church until she was 14. At age 14, her mother remarried, and when her new stepfather found out she had been raped, he exposed the pastor. He denied it. Leah and her family were subsequently kicked out of the church. A few months later, her stepfather started to rape her until she ran away at 16. It was at this point that Leah started Satan worship. Remember, if this is too uncomfortable for you, there's other places you guys can go hang out. All right, please don't, please don't turn me into uh, the uh, internet police or anything like that. Uh, you know, uh, we're PG-13 rated R channel. Okay, so we'll just leave it at that. I got permission from the editor, the publisher, and the writer to read this book. I had become rebellious, Leah said, and now reflecting back. I know that was not the right thing to do. She had since left her satanic religion. She was now 21. I hear voices, she said. Lynn had already been noticing the scratch marks on the patient recognized the distinct type. The scratches were highly consistent with the claw marks Lynn had seen on her friend in the haunted home she had once owned. They were also exactly the way they had been described by others who had been clawed, as well as claw marks she had seen on her own children. A single claw mark appeared similar to a cat scratch, with just one claw out. Lynn noticed one inside Leah's ear going inward into the canal and another on the back of her shoulder and side of her neck, as well as several on both arms and in her armpit. They were all over this young woman's body, even in, a very, even in very peculiar places that would be difficult for the woman to scratch or create herself. Yet Lynn didn't say anything. She knew that what she was looking at were demonic claw marks. Lynn was not surprised at what Leah said next. I can hear as many as 25 different voices talking to me, said Leah, and no one believes me. Leah was slurring her words. She went on to say that one of the voices she heard had long, sharp fingernails and had been scratching her everywhere, including her private parts. Sometimes it felt like something was laying on top of me when I'm trying to sleep and having its way with me, she said. Several times, after waking up feeling with something on top of her, she felt paralyzed and was only able to move her eyeballs. Upon awakening, she had noticed her underpants partially pulled down to one side, or both, on one side or both. She said one time, she passed out and woke up with bruising between her upper thighs and in her private area. When I tell people about these incidents, they don't believe me, Leah continued. The staff and doctors have been telling me that I've been doing them to myself, but I swear I haven't. She was diagnosed as schizophrenic. Susie immediately said that she would pray over her. 
Thank you, Leah said, and then turned to Lynn. I really think you can help me. Just then, Leah was called away to go for a therapy. As she nodded to walk away, Lynn could clearly see the attachments on Leah's back. They were clustered together like grapes, as if something as if something about the size of a clear pillowcase was containing them. One hung over each shoulder blade, suspended by a, te- a tentacle-looking thing that was attached to Leah's shoulders. Inside of each ethereal bag appeared to be appeared to be misshapen, almost potato-looking clusters of heads, most of which were inverted. Oh my god, Lynn thought to herself, Leia is really hearing 25 voices. She had multiple negative souls attached to her back. Lynn was reluctant to remove the attachments from Leia. She had a lot of personal things going on in her own life, and she didn't feel spiritually balanced enough to take on such a huge spiritual task alone. Lynn felt a young woman needed someone more capable than she presently was. Plus, Lynn surely wasn't, but didn't want anything attaching to her or those voices going home with her. In Lynn's mind, removing them herself was not an option, yet she wanted to help Leah. It wasn't just a matter of, t- of taking on the removal of the lady. Off of the lady. It was also removing them from her environment. It would be huge, long, exhausting task. Lynn would need help, or at the very least, be more balanced and less stressed. When Leia returned from her therapy, Lynn went to her room and asked if she could come inside. Leia invited Lynn in. Lynn started to explain to Leia what she had seen on her back. She also told her that she recognized her claw marks and where those types of claw marks usually came from. Because because Leia was experiencing this reality, she listened very intently. She nodded in agreement and said, I knew you could help me. Lynn went on to tell Leia that even if she did remove some of the attachments on her, there was so much more to be done. In order to complete the clearing of her attachments and preventing them from returning, Lynn recommended finding a shaman or priest upon her discharge. She needed someone who would remove demonic attachments, not only off her, but from her environment as well. Lynn said a prayer to be guided and protected. She suddenly had an overwhelming urge to remove the attachments. Hesitation forgotten, Lynn grabbed the clusters off of Leia's back and stomped them into the ground. They came off pretty easily. As it turned out, they were clinging to each other and not fully embedded into Leia's back. back. They had been attached by a twisted, horn-like anchor going into her shoulders. Lynn could see that there were other attachments near Leia's bed. A few had also fallen away from the cluster before the rest were stomped into the ground. Lynn warned Leia that some may reattach. However, a major part had already been done away with. I can feel that what you did has helped, Leia said. It felt like weeds were being pulled off my shoulders. Leia agreed to look for help upon being released. Lynn spent a week in different areas of the psychiatric facility as a student nurse and, just out of curiosity, started to look at the people in the ward differently. She noticed that about a third had attachments along with complaints of hearing voices. They were also di- those were also diagnosed with schizophrenia and a few with drug and alcohol addiction. The attachments on the backs of these addicts appeared more like backpacks with a single head peering over their shoulder from behind. The schizophrenics looked similar to, Leia, to Leia's attachment. A year passed and Lynn was shopping in Walmart. There were two women farther down the same aisle as Lynn. One kept staring at Lynn, then whispering at the other. As he started to leave the aisle, Lynn overheard one saying to the other, I know it's her, I just want to say hello. 
Lynn heard a woman's soft-spoken voice coming from behind. Excuse me, are you Lynn? Lynn turned around, and the woman said, it is you. Lynn looked into the face of the very pretty young lady who was standing in front of her, smiling from her ear. Do you remember me? The young woman asked. You helped me while I was in lockdown at that facility. You were a student nurse. Lynn finally recognized Leah, who looked completely different. She had lost weight and was wearing makeup with an attractive hairstyle. She didn't look very much at all like the young woman Lynn had originally met. I did what you said and got help, Lynn cheerfully continued. The priest who helped me said it was a blessing I had met you, because if, if I hadn't, I could very well still be in a state-run facility for mental illness. Leah was proud to announce she was in counseling for her childhood issues. She completed her GED and had started her first semester in the local college. She wanted to become a dental hygienist. Her doctor was only medicating her for mild anxiety now. Lynn's eyes welled up with tears of joy. She told Leah how proud she was of her and wished her well. Mental illness rationales are created mostly to discredit or deny, instead of proving that the gray area doesn't exist. This is a more comfortable this is this is more comfortable for science and medicine. It's more comfortable for society. It's the way things have always been done. The ability to see or hear dead people is, for instance, also shunned and labeled as hallucinations caused by mental illness. Any other response would be uncomfortable and open up a whole array of questions. Science just isn't quite ready and capable to answer, mostly because it would force society to believe differently and to ascertain a different truth. The status quo works and is easier to manage on many levels, and science is limited to what is concrete. The truth of the matter is that there have been very few studies to evaluate the supernatural abilities of people in comparison to studies to prove mental illness. Perhaps they are really seeing and hearing what they claim. Any tests that have been performed do not hold the same position as those that are scientifically proven. One cannot test something spiritual with something concrete or scientific. It also cannot really be evaluated by someone who has neither the ability to understand nor sensory gifts and vision. Any studies done would need to be evidenced by other supernatural cases that are similar. The people having the so-called hallucinations need to be asked what they are seeing and hearing and compared to similar situations for consistencies beyond the diagnosis limitations we have. Since there is no textbook for it, many people are seeing interdimensionally but do not realize that that's what it is. If they dare to mention it to the wrong person, they are considered crazy or tripping on drugs. Ever catch a glimpse of something out of the corner of your eye and you would swear that you saw it? Then when you look directly at it, nothing appears to be there. This is a considerably basic form of interdimensional viewing, usually seen in one's peripheral vision. Be prepared once a person has started to acknowledge their peripheral vision glimpses, they will start to happen more often. Or perhaps it seems more so because one now understands what they've been seeing all along and what it is. It is interdimensional viewing. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Perhaps there would not be as many people in mental hospitals if a spiritualist, along with the doctors, were involved with mental health eval evaluations and assessments. Keep in mind that when people see and are traveling interdimensionally, 
Sometimes they're going to talk about things not from this earth, since many other beings from other places also travel between the dimensional out curtains. Aliens and Bigfoot are just a few examples. They use it as camouflage, and they have done so for centuries. People with the ability to see higher frequencies have had witnesses who have either seen similar things at the same time or similar things at a different time. However, what is seen is consistent with what others have seen as well. There are situations such as hauntings that are witnessed by many. Pictures and digital recordings of sound have often been retained of apparitions. Excuse me a second here. In addition, many people have reported seeing physical objects being moved or thrown right before their own eyes while no one was touching or near them. Now, with people using cell phone cameras and units, less of this is hidden and cannot be denied, especially when groups of individuals have obtained the same footage on each other's personal phones. Individuals who do not even know each other. These are, yeah, these are individuals who don't, who don't know each other. Science seems to remain silent on these topics without even an attempt to explain. Could it be because there is nothing really sensible or scientific to base the settings on? People have reported being attacked by invisible forces that can have, that can and have left visible bruises, bite marks, and claw marks. A person's hair gets pulled, body grabbed, pushed, lifted into the air, left with male imprints, abducted, or even raped. Yes. These accounts, for the most part, fall on deaf ears. One won't hear about these things on the nightly news or headlines of the newspaper. These unexplained events are blamed on a list of other, more reasonable things. And when there is no explanation, they get blamed on the person, on the person telling the stories. Regular people don't want to deal with it or acknowledge it. When a man rapes a woman, again, if you don't like what you're hearing, move on. Do not turn me into the unit police. It is acknowledged if one is raped by a demon, they think the person needs to be in a psychiatric ward. The victim is accused of doing the unexplainable to themselves or making it up. They are labeled as a person off their rocker. With our sophisticated TVs, phones, and computers, how come the doctors and police department investigators don't Google demonic and incubus rape and see how many cases of women talking about it happening to them there are? Okay. Perhaps they can even compare the cases to look for similarities. Being raped is a traumatic violation in itself. However, being raped by someone you cannot see that leaves purple bruises on inner thighs and on the meas is trauma on steroids. Because instead of being able to get treatment and support, one gets more traumatized by being institutionalized, and no one is supporting them. Instead, they are accused. Robin. Okay, before we get into this again, this channel is rated PG-13, bordered on R. These are true stories of the paranormal that I'm reading. Uh, Lynn Monet is an excellent author. This is her second book in the series. So if you guys feel offended in any way by what I'm reading, please move on. Please do not turn me into the TikTok police or the, or the YouTube police or the Facebook police. Please do not turn me in. It's just a book, okay? I'm going to try. You know, if there's anything delicate in here, I'm going to try and rename it or kind of move it around. But I'm just reading straight out of this book, which, by the way, I have permission to read. 
Again, if you're uncomfortable, just move on. There's, there's, there's other creators you can see. And really quick, I want to do a quick check. Hang on one second. Uh, okay, hello. Okay, I see there's some people in there. Cool. All right, I'm going back on out. And like I said, if you feel offensive, just move on. All right? But if you like what you hear, double tap that screen. I'm trying to build up my likes. So if you could do that for me, that would be great. It's really hot here. Um, please do. Please do. Please do. Please do. Robert was a medical student, and she had moved in. Let me get some water real quick. Hang on, you guys. I know we're losing our rhythm. Just give me a minute. It's hot here. Okay. Robert was a medical student, and she had moved up to South Carolina from Georgia to do her internship at the University of South Carolina. She had lived in dorms before with other girls and was excited to move into her first townhouse apartment with a roommate. Many nights, Robin was home alone because her roommate had a boyfriend and she stayed over at her boyfriend's house. Robin was okay with this since it gave her more quiet time to study. Lynn, at that time, lived four doors down from Robin. One evening, Lynn got up for a drink of water around 1 a.m. and overheard a frantic woman trying to be quiet yet crying on the phone, talking about something that had happened to her and that she didn't want to go back to the apartment. Lynn decided to let her dog out and stood outside on her patio. She overheard Robin saying, I have to get off now. My neighbor's outside. I'll call you back. Lynn could not help but take the opportunity to ask Robin if she was okay. Robin started to cry and slowly walked over. I think my apartment's haunted. She said almost every night she woke up to, to finding her underwear pulled below her butt. She said she had never had it happen before when she was living at home with her parents or in the dorms. Yet, since she moved here, there were lots of weird things happening. She said, this night, she said this night was different. I know this sounds crazy, but I was awakened by the feeling of something tugging at my underpants. She said her own hands rubbed near her face and she was sleeping on her side. I opened my eyes thinking it was an intruder and didn't see anything, Robin said. I pulled them back up and then pretended to be asleep. Then I felt the tugging again. I jumped up, grabbed my phone, and ran out the door. Lynn agreed that this was very scary and told Robin that she too had had experience with the haunted house she had owned and was never able to move into. Lynn told her that she had spiritually safeguard every home that she had to spiritually safeguard every home every home she moves into now. Robin was very shaken. She asked Lynn if she would go to the apartment with her so she could get her car keys and purse to drive over to a friend's house. Lynn followed and told Robin when and if she came back to stop by. She had some things to help her. She had some things to help her if she came back. The next day, Robin and her roommate, Katie, came to Lynn's door and asked if she could help them. It turned out that Katie had been avoiding sleeping in the townhouse because a few times she had slept there, she had also experienced a similar thing. Only she woke up feeling her, only she woke up feeling her gown being pulled up and saw a male-like shadow standing next to her bed. Katie said she didn't wear underwear to bed, but would find her nightgown pulled up to just underneath her breast. Katie said she had spoken with the neighbors just on the other side of them and was told the girls who had lived there before had been evicted and were strippers at a local bar. Then offered the young ladies some dragon's blood, incense, and sage to slow things down a bit for a day or two. Katie's boyfriend was coming over to sleep there too. The girls did not want to be there alone. The first night went well after the second. 
Then, just Katie and her boyfriend slept over at the apartment while Robin went to visit her parents in Georgia. Katie and her boyfriend came to Lynn's door about 7.30 a.m. Katie was taking a shower upstairs when she heard the bathroom cabinet open and close. Katie called out and asked her boyfriend if he had just come into the bathroom. Her boyfriend came to the bathroom door and told Katie he had not. He had been in the kitchen washing his hands downstairs, but he was not in the cabinets. Katie got out of the shower and heard a man's voice eerily whispering her name. Katie wrapped herself in the towel and ran downstairs to find her boyfriend. She was still dripping wet. Katie told her boyfriend what she had just heard. She then ran outside in her towel and told her boyfriend to get Lynn and ask her to come over to help. Lynn heard a knock on the door, and when she opened it, she saw Katie's boyfriend with Katie outside, standing behind him in the towel. Lynn looked at the boyfriend and said, it's happened again, didn't it? Katie piped in and said, I'm not going to back going back in that apartment unless you come over and tell me if you see it can make it go away. I will do what I can, Lynn said. However, it's a lost soul. If it's a lost soul, it doesn't have to leave unless it wants to. Yes, but you're not afraid of them, Katie said. So, Lynn agreed. She grabbed some dragon's blood and sent in holy water. If you're planning on going back inside with me, Lynn said, you will have to not show any negative emotions and not talk about the apparition in your apartment because it and anything else entity-wise can hear you. It feeds on tension and fear, anger, depression, or sadness. I don't want the spirit to get amped up on your fear and have enough energy to attack me. Lynn said a prayer and asked ask for protection, then proceeded into the house. Lynn stood just inside the doorway, standing out loud. If there's anyone here, is there anyone here? You have the chance to leave this apartment now, or you won't like what's coming your way. Lynn lit her incense and sage, and went to the stairs to Katie's bedroom and smudged the room. Then she went into Robin's room and did the same, as well as the bathroom. As Lynn came back to the stairs to descend, she saw the apparition and took a picture of it with her phone. Robin returned. She stayed only a week and then moved out. Katie stayed for another 10 days to the end of the month, and then moved out also. They said too many creepy things kept happening. The girls ended up going their separate ways, finding different places to live. And now we've got another picture. So below is the picture Lynn, Lynn took in Robert and Katie's apartment. The ghost is definitely a nude male attempting to cover his, his privates. He appears bent at the legs, let's see. I think, I think it's there. I can't see it on the screen. It might be on there. It's probably on there. I just don't see it. Oh, okay. There's the outline. I see it. There's kind of like a light outline on the door. And then she goes ahead and, and gets a marker and outlines where this, this alleged ghost is. Okay. I'll buy that. Here it is again outline for the entry die. Does this photo look like mental illness? To Lynn, it looks like a naked male ghost. Who likes getting in bed with sleeping women at night? There appears to be an additional entity in the photo on the stairs that is not as well defined. Traveling in twos is common for entities. However, if you call the police for assistance and tell them, it will most likely be a one-way ride to the psychiatric ward. A Houston physician, Stella Emanuel, MD, believed that sex with demons can cause miscarriages, impotence, cysts, and 
endometriosis. I'm sorry, I didn't say it right. Endometriosis. There we go. Among other maladies. She took the chance of reporting this, and it has opened up her to much ridicule, according to USC Dorn's life. This has been happening for centuries, as evidenced by paintings from as far back as the 1700s. One example is The Nightmare by John Henry, a painting of a sleeping woman with a demonic incubus perched nearby. It is also, the book of Gen- it is also in the book of Genesis, where it is slated, stated, this is one of those days, that prior to God's flood of the earth, fallen angels made it with women. Again, if you're uncomfortable with this, move on. Please do not turn me into the TikTok police. Ask a woman who has been raped by one, and she'll tell you they still exist on this earth. Society has discredited this belief. It has happened so often that mainstream medical doctors actually have a scientific term for it. Incubus. What is it? Yeah, incubus syndrome. This syndrome deems a woman delusional and schizophrenic if she claims that some unforeseen being has had sex with her. This phenomenon is also known as spectrophilia, although sometimes this is, this is consensual. This is a word that encompasses both the actual act of paranormal intercourse with ghosts, spirits, and invisible lovers, and the fetish of paranormal intercourse, according to Mike.com, King. Even celebrities such as Anna Nicole Smith have made claims of encounters. British actress Natasha Vlasic had a similar experience, according to Mike.com. These experiences are said to be more common than one would think. It happens to men, too. Okay, that's where we're going to stop, and uh, we'll continue with this next week, which will be, uh, we'll start in Chapter 7 next week. I want to thank everybody for coming. I mean, let me get this going here. Austin, how are you doing? I see Austin's in the chat room. I want to thank everybody for coming. I really appreciate it. Um, like I said, we do this every Sunday, and uh, it's just a way to kind of slide in the weekend, and you know, people like a good ghost story, and these are written by the people that experienced them. So you can't get better than that. Starting tomorrow, we're going to be on our regular schedule, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. And what I've got is, uh, let me pull this up because it's a, it's a mouthful. What I've got is a strange, strange happenings in the Marley Woods with Thomas Ferraro. He's going to be on at 6.30, that show will air at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. I will not be here, unfortunately. I have a... Uh, appointment I have to be at tomorrow evening, so I got kind of got the night off, but this is something that you guys can check out. Uh, that'll be over at our YouTube page, uh, youtube.com forward slash at California Haunts Radio. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and put a, a teaser for it and a, a uh, location to uh, a link for you up on TikTok to make sure you guys get the link, okay? Um, again, with TikTok, if you... Uh, like what you heard tonight, please show me some thumbs up. You know, tap, double tap that screen before I go. Please double tap that screen. I appreciate everybody coming tonight. I see we have a like in the chat room, in the chat room over on Facebook, so I'm happy about that. And uh, thank you, everybody. Thank you very much. And I hope you have a great rest of your evening, or depending on where you're located, a great rest of your day. But I will see I will see you guys officially live Tuesday with Nancy Nats, and then tomorrow you you've got. Uh, what's happening in the Marley Woods, okay? And that's a spooky one, I tell you, it's a spooky one. And like I said, I read one day a week, and then the rest of the week is all UFO, it's all ghosts, it's everything paranormal. And we have some really cool guests on, and we have some really cool guests lined up this week and next week. All right, well, thank you very much. If you like the show, share it with six people. If you hated the show, share it with uh, 
uh, I'm sorry, five people. <laughs> I'm tired. Uh, share it with your enemies. You know, we're looking just to build up our numbers and everything. And like I said, if you haven't subscribed already on YouTube, please do so. Uh, there's over 700 uh, videos and some change over there. And uh, boy, it boggles the mind the people we've interviewed and the topics we've covered. All right. So come on over and check that out. Uh, and again, please subscribe if you haven't done so already. And maybe if you're over on TikTok, hit that follow button. Hit that follow button because I'm on here doing other stuff. Karen Clark, one of our mediums, and I are going to start doing uh, card readings and different things on uh, TikTok page and, and, and some YouTube stuff. So we got all kinds of things coming up. I'm just starting to build all this up. Okay. All right, guys. I will see you guys soon. All right. Here we go. And uh, let me get this going. Over. Uh,